Amen. You may be seated. It is so good to be here today. I didn't get to share this with you last week, but my wife and I celebrated our 20th anniversary. Yes, which was amazing. The first time since we started having children, and we have like half a dozen or something. I feel like we have more children every time I look around. I'm like, what? What? First time we'd been away in almost 12 years together without our kids for a week. And it was amazing. And I know I enjoyed it a whole lot more than my wife did. <laughs> By the end of it, she's like, how much longer is our trip? Do we have how many more days? Five? So, well, we're going to continue in our sermon series called The Moral of the Story and as a reminder, I know that all of us here at Sweetwater Campus know this, but we are one church with three locations. And so as a reminder, man, we have an opportunity to invest in our Parker Campus and our McCulloch Campus. Uh, today, as I speak, I'm actually speaking to our McCulloch Campus and our Parker Campus. And so let's just, let's just turn around as much as we can and yell at the camera and let Parker and McCulloch know how much we love them and how much we're excited about what God is doing there, how he's changed our lives. Let's do that, would you? Woo! We are so excited about how God is changing lives. Parker Campus, we love you uh, tonight or today, this morning. I want to invite you to go check out the Bibles in the center of the room. If you don't have a Bible, get up right now, go back and grab one. We're excited about all the life change that's happening down there. Pastor Reuben uh, is doing such an incredible job allowing God to use him. And over on our McCulloch campus, we're excited about how the campus pastors are, are seeing God work and changing lives. So McCulloch and Parker, thank you for what God is doing and let God continue to work and change. We want you to know that we are here for you. We are for your family. We are for your marriage. We are for your future. It doesn't matter the past that you bring today. It doesn't matter the past and the brokenness that you've experienced. We're for you. We want you to allow God to work and change your lives and we want to see you walk in godliness and success. Well, you're welcome to use our Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we are welcome to use one of the Bibles underneath the seat in front of you. We're going to be on page 978, Matthew chapter 18. And if you don't have a Bible, you are welcome to take that Bible home with you and keep it. And if somebody tries to stop you, hit them in the head with it and say, no, this is a gift from the pastor to me or from Pastor Joe to me. When Jesus was on this earth 2,000 years ago, he used all of his life to bring life change to the people around him. He wanted his followers to experience life change. He wanted his followers to experience the power of Christ at work. He wanted them to live differently, differently than the rest of the world lived. And so everything he did while he was here was all about bringing that change to his followers. Every miracle changed lives. Uh, every story that he told, he used to change lives. Today, we're going to look at the story about the man who went searching for one of his lost sheep. I don't know if you've ever experienced being lost before, uh, but I have. I remember being about five or six years old and getting lost in the supermarket away from my mom. And I, I don't know where she is. My mom didn't leave me. I left her. I wandered away. I 
in a different direction. Well, that was unnecessary and very rude. I walked in a completely different direction from my mom and I looked up and I realized I was not around her. And so I frantically began to go from one aisle after another aisle trying to find her. And when I finally found her, I ran up to her and I'm crying and I'm upset. She didn't even know I was gone. <laughs> Once my family was camping out at a park in, uh, in Tennessee, we were camping for a season. Like it felt like three or four weeks while we were waiting for a house to close that we had purchased. And we're camping out in this, in this park, and I get lost at night, and I'm crying, wandering around in the creeks and the trees, and finally a park ranger found me and brought me back to the campsite. Raise your hand if you have ever been lost. Okay. Raise your hand if you were lost when you were a child. Raise your hand if you would like one of your family to get lost for a while. Being lost stinks, doesn't it? It stinks. You feel confused. You feel out of touch. You start to fear. What if I get left behind? Does anybody know that I'm missing? Keep that in mind as we look at this passage of Scripture today. As we talk about this shepherd going out in search of his lost sheep. Let's read together on page 978, Matthew 18, verse 12. Jesus asked, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish." Now, of any passage of Scripture that sometimes rubs followers of Jesus the wrong way, it's this one. This has the potential to rub you the wrong way. If you feel like the, your role or your, uh, as a follower of Jesus, if you feel like it's the church's responsibility to pet you and to groom you and to make you happy and to help you get comfortable in life, and that's not the role of the church. We, we're for you. We want you to grow. We want you to be healthy. We want you to grow in the Lord. But the church has always got to have the heart of Jesus that he is teaching in this passage of Scripture. Now, the man in this story owned 100 sheep. He fed them daily. He led them daily. He protected them day and night from predators that wanted to have lamb chops for dinner. Uh, he protected them from the thieves, from the cliffs. He protected them from wandering away. He was a shepherd, and that is what shepherds do. Shepherds protect the sheep. Now, I know as we think about this, we all have many different views today. There's far more than a hundred followers of Jesus. Uh, we have different political views. We have different types of family. We have different worldviews. And it seems like we're living in a world that is truly trying to pit people against people. It is important to remember that all people, that's me, are God's sheep and belong to him. It's important for us to remember that. That all people, the, the white ones, the black ones, the brown ones, the stubborn ones, the scared ones, the lonely ones, the conservative ones, the liberal ones, the terrorists, the murderers, the abusers, the self-righteous ones, all those 
types of people and all those people belong to God. The people that you agree with and the people that you avoid, we all belong to him. Over the six and a half, seven billion people on the planet belong to God. Every person who has ever lived, every person who ever will live, all belong to God. Now, as an aside, then it matters how we treat people. It matters that we're kind to other people. Every person that you encounter belongs to God. So if you're rude to somebody, you're rude to a person that God loves. If you ignore somebody, you're ignoring a person that God loves. Now, I know it's comforting for us to accept the fact that God loves us. I mean, we're good people, right? We're at church on, on a weekend. We're at church. We're worshiping. We're lifting our hands in worship. We're listening to a sermon. We'll walk out and we'll leave a nice tip for our server. It's easy for us to say that God loves us. But I have a difficult time accepting the fact that God loves the terrorists, that God loves the murderers, that God loves the rapists, the bullies, the abuser. I have a hard time accepting that. That truth makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Yet we have all been created in his image. We all belong to him. We all are loved by him. So if we all belong to God, why is the world such a mess? If we all belong to God, why is it that the world is such a travesty and tragedy at times? Why are children abused if they belong to God? Why do marriages, some marriages, end in divorce? Why is there cancer and leukemia, sickness and disease? Why do we struggle with loneliness and isolation, hurt feelings, pride and selfishness? Why do we have division in churches and in families if we all belong to God? Why are we all not alike? Even the best person in the world is a sinner and wanders away from God. I was thinking about Mother Teresa. She poured out her whole life feeding and taking care of the poor in Kolkata, India. And you know what she is? A sinner. She spent her entire life serving, yet she is still a sinner. Billy Graham, he preached Jesus in over 185 countries and to over 200 million people. And guess what he is? A sinner. Joe Donahue, a sinner. My wife, she's perfect. (laughs) Ask her. In fact, God described us, his people, as sheep that do wander. We want to know why the world is so messed up. It's because of you and me. It's because we chose to wander away from God's path. We chose to wander away from God's plan. We chose to be that one sheep that wandered away from the shepherd. In fact, God described it in Isaiah 53, 6. He said, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. The reason why the world is messed up is because we are following our own paths and not following the path that God desires us to follow. I gave my life to Jesus in 1991, but I did not stop sinning in 1991. As much as I would love to say my life was forever changed, the old man was gone, the new man had come, I find it hard and difficult to admit that I still sin. I am still a sinner. 
though I'm saved and though I'm forgiven and though I'm made right with God, I still sin. And I think I still sin just as much as I did before I became a follower of Christ. See, like sheep, I wander toward danger. That's what sheep do. Sheep are dumb. I am a dumb man. I wander to the cliff. I wander away from God's paths. Even though I become a follower of Christ, I still wander. I still have bad thoughts. I still have thoughts of lust, thoughts of greed, thoughts of deception. I sometimes say the right thing the wrong way. I have to fight not to say the things that I really want to say at times. And I often fail to say the things that the Spirit of God wants me to say. On the airplane, I was flying back from Hawaii and I reclined my seat to rest. Now, this is new information for me, so help me out. Raise your hand if you do not like it when somebody in front of you reclines their seat on an airplane. Raise your hand. And now raise your hand if you're okay with it. Okay, so it's about a 40-60 split. Well, I was going over the sermon that I was going to be preaching that morning as I was flying back in. I was looking at it, making sure that in my tiredness, I made sure I enunciated and said the right points. And I was reclined my seat a little bit and I was in my happy place. Okay. I just was experiencing the presence of God in my life. I'm pouring over my sermon notes. I have my beautiful wife beside me. All was well with the world until about an hour into that flight, all of a sudden these two hands grab the back of my seat and pull them backwards even further. Yeah, everyone, oh. <laughs> Some of y'all are funny. Y'all are gasp. <sighs> Just made me laugh. So after about an hour, the man grabbed and pulled it back, my seat back further, and he began yelling at me. To him, I was the rudest, meanest, most hateful person in the world for what I had done. And he was repulsed that I had reclined my seat. And I couldn't help but think he looked like Mr. Angry Eye Potato Head as he was yelling. I mean, his eyebrows really kind of furrowed in and he, you could tell he had the angry eyes on, right? And he was yelling and he was just, and that makes you very uncomfortable when you're on an airplane. And all I could think about was Mr. Potato Head. What I wanted to say to him at that point and what I actually said to him were two totally different things. Now, I won't tell you what I wanted to say because all the mamas in here would wash my mouth out with soap. But what I actually said, it was actually a moment where I allowed the kindness of the Holy Spirit to work in my heart, work in my life. And I said to him only maybe one or two sentences. I said, oh, I am so sorry. I wish you would have said something earlier. My wife and I will raise our seats and will not recline back any further. Now, I could tell that he was still upset with me. He was not expecting me to be kind. I caught him off guard, and he was still angry. And so for another 10 seconds, he continued to rail about how awful the whole plane ride would be if everybody just laid their seat backs. And then he said, and you're reading that Christian crap. <laughs> I want to say, that's my sermon. It's crap, but that's my sermon. I did not reply. We raised our seats up, and for the rest of the five-hour flight back, I sat at a 90-degree angle, 
straight with my back, and I just kept thinking, I'd lean over to my wife every now and then and say, reading that Christian crap, you know. <laughs> but I said nothing else to him. At the end of the flight, when I stood up to get off the plane, in a very meek voice, the man said, Sir, I'm sorry for the way I spoke to you. I didn't have to speak to you that way, and I'm sorry. I stuck out my hand, and I said, Don't worry about it. I forgive you. But what I wanted to say was, potato head. And, <laughs> yeah. and then ninja poke him in one of those angry eyes. So, see, I, I've not stopped sinning since I became a follower of Christ, but I'm forgiven. My life has changed. I do good works now. I tell others about Jesus now. I try to sin less, but the reality is I still sin. And if followers of Jesus were honest, we would each admit that we ourselves wander from God's path as well. Even if we consistently spend time with the Lord in the morning, every day, pouring out our hearts to him in prayer, by mid-morning we can get angry, we can lose our temper, we can get upset, we can sin and we still wander away. There's a reason the old hymn contains the words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We are prone to wander. And if followers of Jesus drift away from God's paths, is it any wonder that the world is messed up? We're all colliding into one another like a wreck at NASCAR. Some cars get dinged, others get destroyed, others get totaled. And sometimes the church stops following Jesus and searching for the lost, and we begin to focus on petting the sheep. See, we, that's, that's called sin. If we stop focusing on, on searching for the lost, if we, stop searching, if we stop searching for the lost in our community, it's called sin. But we cover it up because we say, hey, well, I've got new Christian friends. I've got new followers of Jesus. I'm involved in my life group. I'm experiencing so much joy. And what we begin to do is we begin to narrow down all of our relationships that we once had before we became followers of Christ. And now we're only hanging out with other followers of Jesus instead of continuing to befriend those who are lost. But God never stops searching for the lost. He never has stopped searching for the lost. And so the moral of the story is God intentionally searches for lost people. See, somebody may be sitting in this room today and they are not yet a follower of Jesus. God is searching for them. This shepherd represents God. God loves people. God loves the lost. God loves the broken. And God puts his love into action and searches for people to show his kindness to. That's the reason why Jesus often hung out with the outcasts of society. It's because he was searching for the lost. You and I must be intentional about joining God to search for lost people. So how do we do that? Since followers of Jesus still sin, that even means sometimes we get church wrong. And do you know that sometimes we can get sharing the gospel with other people wrong? Sometimes we can get evangelism wrong. Sometimes we can, we can just be wrong about just how we do church. Why? Because we're sinners. Sometimes we think we're joining God in the search for lost people and we use shame and guilt to try to correct their behavior. Instead of searching for lost people, what we end up doing because we're using shame and guilt is we're actually driving those people further away from the flock. 
We're actually driving them further away from the heart of God because we, we want to try to correct their behavior with shame or with guilt instead of just loving them and accepting them as Jesus did. See, we do not shame people to become a follower of Jesus. We do not try to correct their rude behavior, even if it's on an airplane. That is the attitude that turns people away from the church and from God. On that plane ride, I could have jumped up and lectured that man behind me, but the Bible tells me to speak respectfully to older men as though they were my father. See, it's the Holy Spirit's role that's going to convict the lost of their sin. When Jesus was speaking to his disciples about the joy of the Holy Spirit or the job of the Holy Spirit after Jesus left, he said in John 16, and when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. See, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts the world of its sin. It's not our role to hold up a picket sign and tell the world how, how, how sinful they are. We are not the ones who bring conviction and guilt. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. Not, it's, not, uh, the, it's not a preacher's job to convict. It's not a pastor's job to convict. It's not a follower of Jesus' job to convict. That's why it's our mission here at Calvary to lead people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ through the love of his people and the power of his truth. You see, when we are loving people as we ought to, the Holy Spirit is at work in their hearts. If we're loving people, as 1 John 2, 6 says, whoever claims to live in Christ must walk as Jesus did. If we are loving the people who are lost, if we are loving the people who are far from God, then God's Holy Spirit is going to be at work bringing conviction of sin to their lives. By living out grace, joy, and acceptance, I invite others, and I know that's a lot in one sentence, to experience life change in Jesus. By living out grace, joy, and acceptance, I invite others to experience life change in Jesus. So if you want to join God in searching for the lost, be kind, live out your joy, don't be so grumpy all the time if you're grumpy. And if you don't know if you're grumpy, ask your spouse. They'll tell you if you're grumpy. <laughs> love people. Love the people who are difficult to love. Love the people even if you want to correct and judge and, and you want to correct their behavior. Love them anyway. Don't let insignificant things become a barrier to the gospel for them. Be kind and show grace and joy. Forgive quickly. Accept all. And you can accept others without compromising what you believe. You know how I know that? God accepted you and I, and we were the worst sinners on the planet. And if God accepts you and I coming to him, then we can certainly accept other people and love them. You don't have to agree with them, but you can still accept them and love them. We must build relationships with those who have never received forgiveness for their sins. That means we laugh with them. That means we cry with them. We hang out with them. We play cards with them so that we can love them to Jesus, not to convict them of their sin. 
Pastor Chad shared a vision about our church family reaching this population, 10% of the population of Lake Havasu and Parker in the next eight years. We will not do that if we don't love. We love, that's our role. Build those relationships with the unchurched. Build those uh, relationships with your neighbors that never will come to church. That's okay, you take love to them. Stay involved with them and build those relationships with them. We do the loving. We share our hope in Jesus. The Holy Spirit does the convicting, and then we get to join in the celebrating when they're baptized. Now, one of the best ways that you can connect with lost people, I want to tell you, one of the best ways that you can connect with lost people happens every weekend right here on our church campus. Uh, did you know that a first-time guest makes a decision whether or not they will come back to our church within the first six minutes of entering our campus. A first-time guest decides whether or not they're even going to come back in the first six minutes of coming to church. What is that? That is before the worship. That is before the pastor speaks. You know who it is that they see? Our first impressions team. Right? You have an incredible opportunity this weekend to sign up to be a part of that first impressions team. When we demonstrate kindness to people who are walking through the door and we're handing those water bottles or we're showing love or we're providing them where, helping them know where the restrooms are or giving them more information about our church, that's kindness. See, it's not the preaching that keeps people coming back. It's not the worship that keeps people coming back. It's the kindness of God's people being displayed that keeps people coming back. Every week, dozens of guests come pouring through our doors. Some are already followers of Jesus. Many are not. You can join God in searching for the lost by joining that first impressions team to put the very first best step forward to let them know that there is a God, he is kind, he is merciful, and we're so glad that they are here. Today in our Connection Center, you can volunteer for some of our ministries, some other of our ministries as well, and join with God as he searches for lost people. Now, if you are at Parker or you're at McCulloch, I want to encourage you to connect with your campus pastor and say, what can we do? How can we say yes? How can we get involved in our first impressions ministry? And that campus pastor is just going to love you for it and they'll connect you in the right way. Do you have God's, God's heart for the lost? Do you have God's heart for those who are hurting? Are you willing to leave your holy huddle to go out with God and join him in searching for the lost? Well, I want to encourage you. Have the heart of Christ. Have the heart of our Heavenly Father that searched for you and found you. And God wants to use you to make a difference in this world by finding his lost sheep. Would you join him? Let's pray together. Father, we want to say that we are so grateful that you searched for us, that you went out, you found us, you brought us to you, you changed us. We have experienced life change because of what you did in our lives. You set us free from the effects of sin. You set us free from uh, uh, destruction. You gave us hope. You gave us joy. You gave us peace. 
And now, Lord, we pray that you would use our church over the next eight years to reach the lost in Lake Havasu and in Parker and in this region. Help us to remember what it was like to be lost and hurting. And help us to remember what it was like when we were found, how there was much rejoicing, and use us to reach our community. 